You're listening to the DET 313 NFL Podcast with your host, Nick Donabedian. Welcome, and hopefully welcome back, to the DET 313 NFL Podcast. I am your host, Nick Donabedian, and today we're going to look back at the Lions' gut-wrenching Week 3 loss of the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to talk about Calvin Johnson's Hall of Fame ring ceremony that took place during halftime of that game, and that was eventful, needless to say. (laughs) Um, We'll also touch on the release of Jamie Collins, as well as Penny Sewell apparently getting ready to move back to right tackle. And then we'll preview this Sunday's matchup against the Chicago Bears, but we got to start with Baltimore. I mean, last week, going into that game, everybody, nationally, locally, (laughs) I mean, everyone, thought we were about to basically get a beat down at Ford Field by the Ravens. And, you know, for me, I, I went into that game thinking, you know, offensively we should be able to hang around, and I thought we'd cover the spread. I believe the spread was 7.5 if I'm remembering it correctly, and we did cover the spread. But the game was not at all as I anticipated. Um, like I said, I thought it was going to be a shootout. I thought it was going to be high scoring. We weren't going to be able to stop, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' offense. I thought their defense was suspect. They, you know, we'd give them a hard time, you know, to our credit offensively. But this was a defensive battle that took place last Sunday, and I, we got to start with our defense. You know, they've, <laughs> needless to say, been awful to begin the season. The first two weeks, we talked about it a little bit last week. Just brutal. Giving up points left and right. Can't get off the field. Can't stop anybody. Um, and this week, it, we showed we can get better. We can make improvements. We actually have the ability to contain, for the most part, one of the most electric players in the league. And that's a huge step in the right direction defensively for this team. You know, I, we, we know the lack of talent is evident all over this roster, especially on the defensive end. But for a team that lacks a lot of talent to be able to contain Lamar, hang around with Baltimore, not look overwhelmed, I'd say, defensively, and maybe until the very end if you want to be you know, fair, maybe one play in particular. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the defense showed up. And yes, it, there was some blown coverage. <laughs> and Hollywood Brown, thank you, sir. I mean, he dropped two non-excusable balls, uh, probably two touchdowns in the first half. But you know what? And a lot of people bring that up. And I get why people bring that up. You know, a lot of haters of the Lions or negative fans of the Lions. Oh, you know, let's not celebrate our defense this past week because you know what? They should have scored two more touchdowns. They just dropped balls. That's true. I'm not disputing that. But mistakes like that happen all the time in the NFL. Maybe not, you know, that dramatic, two touchdown drops, but, you know, misplays, miss snaps, drop balls, bad coverage downfield. All that stuff happens all the time. So I don't want to say, you know, it's an excuse. I want to take away from our defense because our defense played phenomenal. For, for what we have on the field, they played phenomenal. And Aaron Glenn, you got to give him a lot of love. He's had a good attitude on, you know, since he's joined this team. He understands the project he has in front of him and how it's going to be a hard puzzle to put together in terms of making this defense one we can truly believe in. But for him to receive phone calls from other coaches around the league coming out of this past week, to me, that shows, again, our defense was effective, despite the drops, despite everything else people want to you know, point fingers and poke holes in this defense. For him to get calls from around the league, he's doing something right with not much to work with. And Lamar, I mean, the biggest thing in terms of Lamar Jackson, for me, 
was keeping them in the pocket. That was my biggest takeaway, and that's the biggest thing I think the Lions did so well throughout the entire game, besides maybe his one long run in, in the first half. They just contained the edge. They forced him to sit in the pocket, and if he's going to run the ball, have to run through the trenches. And, and it proved when you force him to do that, he's not as explosive. He's not as dynamic. He's beatable. And for the Lions defense, one of the worst defenses on paper in the league after two weeks, to be able to contain him like they did, um, like I said, I, I just – I know it's a long ways away, but I have a lot of love and a lot of faith in the direction this team is, is going, and, and stuff like this is a reason why. The improvements that you're seeing from the team, and, and there's a lot we need to clean up, right? But defensively, in particular this week, it was phenomenal to watch. Um, offensively, hey, started way too slow. Just, and that's one thing I want to touch on, too. I, I feel like three weeks in, we haven't seen a complete game by this team. Like, like this past week, week three against Baltimore, the defense played outstanding. Kept us in the game the entire day. Gave us even a chance to, you know, win potentially. And then, you know, what happened at the end is what happened at the end. But the defense played great. But the offense was too slow. And in the second half, yeah, we got some stuff going. I mean, Khalif Raymond played great. I, I thought he was the only receiver that showed life on this team. And, and Swift is Swift. And he showed, again, why he was drafted Early second round by even Bob Quinn made it made a right decision. Looks like on him, um, he was phenomenal all day. You, you just get the ball in Swift's hands. You know he's going to make plays both on the ground, especially in the air. Um, it was great to see both of them play well in terms of Raymond and Swift. But this offense was just too slow. And getting back to the point I was trying to make, we see our defense play great one week. We see our offense play a great first half of football last week, but then can't play good you know half of football you know, the second half of Green Bay as well as kind of switch it against Baltimore. First half, non-existent. Second half, played well enough to get some points and even give us a lead at, at some point. We need to see a complete game out of this team. I think that's what I want to see against Chicago coming up this week is I want to see both the offense and the defense play start to finish competent, good football. And I, I think there's enough I've seen three weeks in where if we can do that, famous last words here, but I don't think this team is that bad. The roster is terrible. The ta lack of talent is terrible. But the schemes, some of the players have some ability. I mean, th there's worse teams than the Detroit Lions in the NFL right now. And we just got to put it all together, which is something that I think has been uh, expected to an extent, especially with a new regime coming in, new players, new systems. It's going to take time for everything to click and click into place. Um but I've seen enough. This, this team can, can compete and be a middle-of-the-pack team in the NFL if everyone's playing, you know, again, together and, and playing a full game of football. Um, we just haven't seen that out of this team yet, but I was happy with the defense. Offensively, besides Swift and, and Raymond, just too much of a slow start. They, they did enough at the end to, you know, get us back into it and had some timely drives. Um, Hawk was, you know non-existent. And, and you could tell that was Baltimore's focus this entire game. They knew after two weeks, if we could shut down TJ Hawkinson, there's not many other pass catchers in this, you know, receiving core of theirs that truly bust this thing open and make plays down the field. So um, hopefully we get Hawk more involved this week against Chicago. Um, but I, again, the receivers, man, like <laughs> outside of Khalif Raymond, the tight ends, talking about Hawk and, and, you know, Fells and the running backs, Swift and Jamal, the rest of our receivers, 
had three catches total combined. Three. I mean, Kader Hodge, he had one for nine. Quintin Cephas had one for eight. And then Amara St. Brown had one for two. Man, it's, it's tough to also get a gauge on Goff when he has really no one to throw to in terms of his receivers. Um, it's, it's really hard to watch. But all in all, again, happy with him. We got, uh, screw everything else I just talked about. Let's talk about the end. <laughs> you know? Yes, I made some points before, but we got to talk about the ending of the game. And first off, us taking the lead with under two minutes to go. I love the belief in this team. This team believes in ourselves, and they're unwilling to quit, and they want to play to the very end. And, you know, Goff mentioned something in his post-game press conference that um, resonated with me, and I thought it was truly, you could see it on the field as well, the team believed they're going to win this game. But that locker room, the Detroit Lions locker room, truly believed from start to finish they were going to find a way to win this game. And they didn't think they're going to be outmatched. They didn't, you know, come into the game nervous or thinking, oh, wow, here we go again. No, there's a belief. And obviously you want to keep that belief up and you want to, you know, instill that into who we are uh, day in and day out, which I think is the case right now. But the biggest thing to keep that going is to get a win. And we do need one soon, I, I believe. But the belief was there. And we found a way to take the lead with under two minutes to go. And a lot of talk was about the conservative play calling towards the end. Um, that led to the field goal where we went up um, 17, I believe the 16. And here's the thing. You can knock Dan Campbell and say, hey, Dan Campbell, you know what? I wish you played more. You should play for the touchdown. You know, I heard, you know, on the ticket this week, everyone talked about, oh, like, he talked about, you know, we're going to punch you in the face or get back up. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to send the message. You know, oh, we should have went for a touchdown there, not a field goal. I hear you. A touchdown, don't get me wrong, would have been awesome. It would have been nice to have. We would have been up big. They'd have to score no touchdown to beat us. Yes, it would have been a huge game changer. But here's the thing. Let's say we try to go for a touchdown and then we make a mistake. You know, we don't bleed out most of the clocks, try throwing the ball. Someone makes it, you know, an error where there's a turnover. If that happens, then everyone's roasting Dan Campbell because, well, why didn't he just run the ball three times, take, you know, kick field goal, take the league, and then play defense? Your defense has been playing great all game. Like, why wouldn't you just do that? So I think because the team ultimately lost, no matter what, when there's a loss like this, People are going to find ways that poke, you know, poke fingers at the coach and, and doubt the coach and his decision-making. I think can go either way with this one. I understand being more aggressive and how, again, a touchdown would have been huge in that situation. That being said, I think most fan bases who haven't experienced you know, the hardships of the Detroit Lions fan base would have been fine with the conservative approach and taking the lead with a field goal, giving them basically less than, what was it, 100 seconds left in the game. I was fine with it. Now, here's the thing. Baltimore has the ball. We took the lead. We did a great job pressuring Lamar in that final drive. I mean, the first down, second down, third down, we're getting to the backfield. You know, we're, we're getting into his grill. He's uncomfortable trying to make a play. Nothing's working. And then it's fourth and 19. <laughs> fourth and 19. Baltimore's far away in terms of being in field goal range. Um, and we call timeout. Again, a lot of people out there say, hey, why did you call timeout? You had momentum, and you don't want to mess with momentum. I get that. And I, again, I, I'm not going to argue with people on that. Like, yes, if you're comfortable with the team you have out there, the play you've called in terms of your defensive scheme, don't call timeout. Just let it roll. But 
to be fair to the coaching staff, if you see something on the field that's a trigger for you or you know, hey, I can anticipate this based off of what I'm seeing in terms of their play formation, most coaches in that situation call timeout there. It's <laughs> Again, it's not uncommon for a coach to call timeout in a big play like that to make sure his defense is set up in a position to be successful. Now, the problem was, unfortunately for us, the defense seemed a little out of sorts, and apparently that was lack of communication. That was the issue with the play on 4th and 19. As, as we know, Lamar rolled out. We only rushed three. He had a clean pocket, plenty of time to sit back. And he made a throw. He made a great throw. Um, and I was re-watching that game again and, and watching that play in particular. It seemed to me that now Aaron Glenn defended his play call, by the way, and I, I don't blame him for that either. I think the play call was fine. I would have probably tried to rush maybe four. But I'm fine with the play call to rush, you know, rush three. Will Harris seemed to be out of position. Now, I don't know. I didn't hear him talk about it after the game and hear him have any quotes. But it seemed like he was creeping up a little bit in case Lamar was going to try to run it. Um, and with that being the case, it seemed like the receiver just slipped right behind him. He just wasn't close enough to the receiver to make the play on the ball. And Ball was tossed over his head, and the next thing you know, you know, Baltimore's driving, and they're in, you know, our, our side of the field. But then, to make things even worse, of course, they convert on fourth and 19, but you know what? We're still in a good spot. They're so far away. I guess they're in field goal range. They're in 60-60 yard field goal range with about seven seconds to go. And the play everyone's talking about afterwards is the delay of game. Again, watching this, listening to the national analysts talk this, listening to the refs talk about this, guys who no longer are officially refing in the league but work for a network and, you know, commentate on calls during made during games. That delay of game, I, I, what? How is that not called? I'm sorry, and I know <laughs> as a Lions fan, people say, oh, you're just classic. You're just crying about the refs, you know. You shouldn't even let them – you know, have that opportunity, blah, 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 blah. But here's the reality. Yes, we should have stopped them 4th and 19. Guess what? They made a play in 4th and 19. That doesn't negate the fact that they should have thrown a flag when there's nearly two seconds go off the clock after it hits zero in terms of the play clock, and then Baltimore throws the ball out of bounds, and then next thing you know, here comes their field goal unit. Like, ugh. How does this always happen to Detroit? How? I feel like every single year, there's always some type of play where it's like, officiating just doesn't know what's going on or they miss something. I mean, Calvin Johnson against Seattle where they tapped the ball the end zone illegally, the Seahawks, no call on that. This play right here, again, clearly a delay of game, no flag at all. Against Dallas, they pick up the flag on the pass interference in the playoff game. And the list goes on. I can keep going. Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary. I mean, it was a couple years ago at Ford Field, but two face... Someone called, I think, a, a, a face mask or something, I believe, on one of our defenders. They showed the replay. They got his shoulder only, and yet they set up another play, and then boom, Hail Mary touchdown. Like, you can't make this up. You cannot make this up how much the refs have constantly blown calls against the Detroit Lions. And I know that's not the end-all, be-all of the game. It doesn't quite decide the game, per se, but in this case, it kind of did. It kind of did. Like... You move that ball back five yards. That's a 71-yard field goal attempt. There's no way Baltimore is even attempting a field goal. What they're doing there is throwing a heave to the end zone or trying to do some laterals and trying to make something work. The fact that they blew that call and then the fact that the 
God's will, Baltimore makes a 66-yard field goal, the longest in NFL history to beat the Lions. It bounces off the upright? That's how this game ends? Oh, God, that was tough to watch. I'm worked up right now just talking about it with you guys. And Listen, all kidding aside, as tough as that loss was, and I don't want to touch you know, too much more on the end of the game, and we can debate all, all you want about what we should have done, but you know what? That, that team played so hard, and I got to give them a B this week. I got to give them a B. You know, they're moving up in terms of their grade, and, and the biggest reason for that is, one, the defense. Again, massive improvements compared to weeks one and two. Massive. This team also, once again, did not quit. Actually took a lead in the fourth quarter against a quote-unquote superior team who everyone thought was going to blow us out. We hung with Baltimore, okay? The, one of the darlings right now of the NFL. And again, it, you see this team believes in itself, like I said earlier. I got to give them a B after the effort the whole team put, the, the fight they put, the opportunity to beat a team like Baltimore. There's no way I can give them anything less than a B. There's a lot we need to get better at. Offense needs to be more consistent right off the bat. Lack of talent is hurting this team on a lot of different fronts. But offense needs to be, be faster, make an impact quicker. Defense, still got to be better at some of those blown calls. Can't allow a fourth and 19 to happen. Can't let them get a first down that play. I know it was a lack of communication, but again, that, that needs to be cleaned up. But overall, I was extremely happy with how this team played. For me to be cheering for a win with less than – Five seconds to go, seven seconds to go in the game against Baltimore. I mean, I can't ask for more than that with a team like this, this early on in, in a new regime. I can't. So I'm giving them a B. I was there's a lot of promise, a lot of long way to go, but a lot of promise. Um, but now we got to talk about the Calvin Johnson Hall Hall of Fame ring ceremony. <laughs> talk about an absolute embarrassing moment for the Ford family, and rightfully so. Um, just kind of set again, but what I saw at halftime. Went over to YouTube, put on the Lions channel to watch the whole, you know, ceremony. Fans were great. Whoever was at Ford Field, let me just say thank you for everything you did at halftime. Because I think really the fan base that was there spoke so loudly for all of the fan base, even those who weren't present at Ford Field. Um, by one, showing Calvin love, man. I mean, that guy, the more I've, I've learned about the, his health, when he was dealing with concussion-wise, the more I heard about just his body breaking down, I don't resent him retiring early like he did. I don't. He's one of the most dominant players in his position during his time in the NFL. And like I said, honestly, in my opinion, the history of the league. So to hear the fans give him so much love, so much cheers, um, it was great to just see him in the building. It was great to see the fans, again, get their opportunity to uh, show their appreciation for him, his talent, his commitment to just trying to do whatever he could while he was here in Detroit to help us, you know, win games, even though that didn't happen. Um, but the bigger story, easily the biggest story, was the booing of Sheila Ford and the Ford family. It was deafening at Ford Field. <laughs> I mean, everybody, it sounded like, was booing as loud as they could as soon as whoever that guy was, I even know it was the NFL Hall of Fame, Announced that, you know, they're at the, they're down here. The four families here at the field. And now some words from Sheila. Everybody was raining down the booze. And they needed to hear that. I, I You could tell Sheila was a little flustered. <laughs> she wasn't probably anticipating that much booing. Um, I'm sure any owner can, you know, anticipate some booze. Or the owners, it's what you get. But 
She was flustered. Her mom, Martha, was back down on the field. I'm sure a lot of their family was in attendance at that game, uh, up in the box. They needed to hear the fans boo the hell out of them. Because quite frankly, Ford family, you deserve that. This team, the Lions, has been garbage since you bought the team. Absolute garbage. We have won nothing here. You have mismanaged individuals in terms of who's going to be, you know, in high-ranking positions like general manager, coach. You constantly play buddy-buddy with people like Rod Wood. You never, ever have a relationship with the fans. You never come out and talk to us. You never come out and truly, you know, get involved in the fan base, besides maybe hearing from you once, twice a year, or in a ceremony like this, which is why, again, it's such a rare occurrence to have a ceremony, you know, celebrating somebody, part of, you know, involved in the franchise like Calvin. Um, you deserve to get all the boos. And honestly, I'd love for you to sell a team. Now, I know it's not going to happen. I think Sheila, again, has said things that make me believe she can be different than the rest of her family, but words are cheap. What I'm hoping, for Sheila in particular, you know, screw Martha, screw the rest of the family. I don't care about them. Quite frankly, I don't even want to see them at Ford Field anymore because they just, I don't know. I just don't want to see them. But for Sheila, hearing the fans boo like that, hearing them, again, just voice their disgust with you as ownership. I hope that resonates. I hope you understand what you've put the fan base through. I hope you understand this team wants, wants to be a winner, deserves to be a winner. These fans are committed to a team that has done nothing but hurt their feelings and just made, made them shed tears every single year. And it's on you, Sheila Fordham, to change that. You can change the narrative. Nobody else can change the narrative more than you can. And I think you've done a nice job. You've hired, you know, again, Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell. I like both of those hires. And time will tell if they're the right ones, but I like them right now. I like the thought process and the process we took to evaluate and hire those two individuals. But you got to understand, it's time to start winning. You got to start connecting with these fans. You got to start giving them something to cheer about. You got to start showing that, you know what, we're not the same old Lions, because a lot of that is due to you and your family. So get it together. Understand where you're at with, in terms of your relationship with the fan base. Understand you're the laughing stock of the NFL and change it. This is a great wake-up call. Thank you, fans at Ford Field. Thank you for booing like you did because hopefully it's going to ring clear to them. It's, this, this is embarrassing. We are an embarrassment. We are a joke of an ownership. We need to change things around here. We need to make a difference. We need to win games. We need to show our fan base we're committed to winning like they are. The fans show up every week. The fans show up every week to that god-awful arena, Ford Field. I'm sorry. It's outdated. It's old. It's kind of cool, but it's old. They show up every week. They listen to the radio. They read your content. They watch on TV. And what do you give them? Nothing. Nothing to be excited about. It's time to change that. So thank you, fans, for booing her like you did. Sheila, wake up. Smell the coffee. Let's, get, let's keep you know get this thing rolling in the right direction. Um... And you know what, too? I'm sorry. I didn't want to talk about it too much, but I got to talk one more. Can we fire Rodwood? Can we just get rid of him? What does he bring to the franchise? What is he helping you with? Like, okay, yeah, he's buddy with your family, and he has, like, some business background, but he knows nothing about football. He alienated Calvin Johnson. He, in my opinion, brings no value to you, to the franchise, 
to your relationship with your fan base, to the relationship with your players, why is he there besides he's friends with the family? Why? It's hires like that, individuals like Rod Wood, who I think bring this franchise down. And getting rid of a guy like him or minimizing his you know, impact on decision-making is a huge step in the right direction, something I'd love to see by the end of the year. But anyways, enough of Baltimore. We we'll want to get past that hard game to watch. Enough of, you know, <laughs> Sheila Ford Hamps. And I feel like I'm also taking away from Calvin's moment by having to rant about Sheila a little bit. And again, Calvin's the man. Love you, Calvin. I can't wait till we actually figure this out. And you know, one other thing, too. I know I'm rambling at this point, but how did we not give Calvin his $1.6 million prior to the ceremony? How is this not resolved? It's an embarrassment that it wasn't resolved. The fact that you bring this guy to your field, he was nothing, first ballot Hall of Famer, and yet you can't pay the man $1.6 million or find a way to, you know, again, reconcile that prior to the ceremony? That's a joke. That's a freaking joke. And you're a joke of an ownership, and that's why this is a joke of an organization, and I'm getting pissed but you got to hear it again. I just cannot stand the Ford family because they do nothing right. They talk a big game. Oh, we want to be winners. We want, we want this team to be good. Prove it. Mend the fences. Make the right hires. Make the changes. Let's go. Enough talk. We've had to listen to your talk for over 60 freaking years. You've done nothing. Enough. All right, I'll calm down now. Enough of that. But I want to talk about the Bears game. I'm going to get to the Bears game. But before we talk about that, two quick things. Jamie Collin, I know we're looking to trade him. Um, couldn't find a way in terms of getting a trade partner out there. But he's officially been released. Good luck to him with his rest of his career. I would love to have seen even like a seventh-round pick something for him in return. But the biggest thing is, again, we got rid of him so the young guys can play. So I'm all for it. But then Penny Sewell, man. <laughs> Also hearing he might be moving back to right tackle. Um, God, no. Please, no. Why? Why are we going to move Penny Sewell back to right tackle? Because Taylor Decker is coming back? Are we probably Taylor Decker? He's your left tackle. Get Taylor left tackle money, so we're trying at left and move Penny over to right. Get the hell out of here with that. That is the most dumb thinking I've ever heard, if that is actually what's going on, you know, with Dan Campbell and his staff right now and Brad Holmes. Like, Here's the thing. Penny Sewell in three games. He's allowed one sack to a pro bowl pass rusher, Nick Bosa, and 212 offensive snaps has been one of our best run blockers and pass blockers, quite frankly, while he's been at left tackle. He's 20 years old. He's the future left tackle of this team. And yet now, because of that, who's good? Decker's good. Is coming back. You're going to move, again, the future, to a position he's not going to play in the future, so we can accommodate a guy who's been here, and as good as he's been, we haven't won anything with him. Taylor Decker, you're, you're not special. Penny Sewell is special. And here, Penny Sewell, I love this kid. Here's what he had to say about it, you know, on Friday after practice. Talking about Taylor Decker, I, I want him back. Whatever that looks like. And I think that'll be him on the left and me back at the right. And it'll just make our line so much better. He's already a big name in this league. He's already established himself, and I've got to do the same. I love you, Penne, for being, again, taking the high ground there, being polite and just a great teammate to Taylor Decker, but I'm sorry. <laughs> He's not a big name in the league. He's a name. He's not a big name. You're actually a bigger name than Taylor Decker. You are already, Penny Sewell. And I just hope that, again, the football minds running this organization understand 
ah, yes, we have Taylor Decker coming back, but what is best for this organization? It's not about 2021. It's about the future. Pace tools the future. Keep him left tackle. Tell Taylor Decker, you're either going to go to right tackle or we're trading you. Done. End of conversation. Nothing else needs to be discussed. If we move Penny Sewell back to right tackle, I will lose my freaking mind. He's too good at left tackle. He is what you draft him for is to be your left tackle. And now you're going to move him back because Taylor Decker's going to get out of here with that, man. That's such loyalty to a fault. Classic Detroit sports trait. Oh, we loyal to Taylor Decker. He's our left tackle. Not anymore. He's not. He shouldn't be. So we'll see. I'm going to monitor that big time the next couple of weeks as Taylor Decker, you know, comes back and is close to return because that makes me nervous, man. Like, dumb moves like that are the ones that, again, dumb franchises make, and historically we're a dumb franchise that we're trying not to be, but that's a dumb move if we do it. So I'll be watching that. Man, I feel like I'm just getting <laughs> heated throughout this entire episode. I've talked about the Ford family. But uh, let's talk about the game this week, Detroit versus Chicago. Um, kickoff 1 p.m. Eastern time, noon here in Chicago. I'm not going to the game. I'm excited. Uh, we're just taking it easy this weekend. Our week away from the Chicago Marathon. Uh, Laura, my girlfriend's running it. Her whole family's coming to town. Couldn't be more excited. So we're just taking it easy to watch the game on on the TV here. Um, but yeah, here at Soldier Field, and also Soldier Field, man, we gotta enjoy that while we can. Because for people outside of Chicago, I'm sure some of you have heard, but the Bears announced uh, this past Wednesday an agreement to purchase the Arlington International Racecourse and the surrounding land for a whopping $197.2 million. The anticipation there is that they're going to potentially build a larger, more modern stadium in the northwest suburbs. If they do this, I think they're making a huge mistake. Um, I don't know. I'm just a big fan of having stadiums and arenas in a city if, if you can. I just think there's an energy to vibe to it, and maybe it makes more financial sense for them to move out to the burbs, but I just know most Bear fans hate this move. Anyways, playing the game, again, this weekend at Soldier Field. Spread right now, Chicago minus three, so Detroit's getting three points. And for total points of the game, it's 41.5. Now, <laughs> I know I've been it's all over the place with the Lions this year, but this is a game the Lions should win. I actually believe this is a game we should come into Chicago and, and get Dan Campbell's first dub of the season. Bears, on paper, probably more talented. More talented names, at least, right? Allen Robinson, David Montgomery. Khalil Mack, who is actually questionable as of, as of today. Um, but as m- talent goes, yes, maybe they have more than us, the Bears, but the Lions seem to be just more stable to me. You know, after watching this for three weeks compared to the Bears' first three weeks, I think we just have a better roadmap of where we want to go. I think we're more stable as our head coaching position, as well as our GM position, as, as well as just we understand where we're at with our roster and, and we just know where it needs to go moving forward. The Bears are a mess. I have to hear about it all the time living in Chicago. The Bears are an absolute mess right now. And Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, their head coach, Pace being their GM, suck at their jobs. They're awful. I mean, Nagy, you got to remember, came in offensive mind out of KC. I think he was their OC under Andy Reid. Came in here, looked good year one, but then last couple of years, the offense has gotten stagnant and regressed and regressed. And this team this year in 2021 – they haven't scored more than 20 points all year in any of their games. They only had six points last week. <laughs> I mean, besides the scripted, you know, drives and plays they have for like start the game and start the second half, this offense is just stale. And talk about not giving, you know, Justin Fields 
enough of an opportunity to succeed last week against Cincinnati. Oh, my God. It just seemed like they'd run the same offense they're running with Andy Dalton, but just trying to make Justin Fields basically fit into it versus craft a scheme that plays to Justin Fields' talents. They're completely different quarterbacks besides, obviously, their hair color. Like, Fields is an athlete. Let him, let him get out and run. And I, he didn't even run that much last week. I think he ran three times for 12 yards. So I, Nagy, again, makes no sense on how he's calling plays over there. And Pace, probably worse than Nagy. I mean, Ryan Pace is one of the most lucky GMs of all time to still have a job. He has made terrible decisions at the quarterback position. Probably the most important position besides head coach, you know, you, you have to make in the league. I mean, trading up to get Mitch Trubisky. Didn't work out with Mitch Trubisky. Then, okay, we're going to go out and get Nick Foles. Okay, we got Nick Foles. He looked like garbage last year. He might even play this this upcoming week. Then we're going to, okay, Nick Foles is in the answer. We're going to go sign Andy Dalton. And then guess what? Actually, a couple of weeks later, a month later, we're going to go up and trade for Justin Fields, who also looks not ready to play right now in the NFL. I mean, the QBs and how they've been managed under Ryan Pace, is it's embarrassing. I, again, I'm shocked he has a job right now. Most franchises have fired this guy years ago after the decisions he's been making. But, hey, for whatever reason, he's still there. Both of them are still there, Nagy and Pace. And let's talk about the QB position a little bit more for Chicago. We don't even know who's going to start this Sunday. Dalton the field, they're still nursing injuries. And you know, Nick Foles, I completely forgot, to be honest, he was still on the roster, but he is. And Nick Foles is Nick Foles. He's not good. He can maybe win you a game or two. And, yes, the Lions would be a perfect time for him to win one of those games, but he's not anything special. And, actually, you know, talking about fields a little bit more, too, let's talk about all the rookie quarterbacks. Because I feel like that was a big part of the summer was how hyped all of them are getting in the preseason. Trevor Lawrence. Rightfully so, coming out of you know Clemson, so decorated. Um, we can see he's stuck in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer. And who knows how long Urban Meyer is even going to be there. But since this year kind of kicked off, Trevor Lawrence has been a turnover machine. He's shown some good throws, some good signs, and he's a rookie, so you got to give him a little time. But he's been turning the ball over left and right. And, and talking about turnovers, we got to talk about Zach Wilson, too, for the Jets. Again, number two overall pick. People comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes type abilities in terms of how he throws it and slings it and sidearm, all that good stuff. Oh, great preseason, but guess what? Preseason doesn't count. He had a promising week one in the NFL. But since then, it's been brutal for him. Six picks in the last two games, zero touchdown passes. He doesn't look like he's comfortable at all. Mac Jones. Who? Mac Jones. Another guy. Again, coming out of Bama, hyped up like crazy, won the starting job in the preseason. They released Cam Newton. I'm talking about the Patriots. Well, last week against the Saints, zero touchdowns through three picks. Looked bad. And Justin Fields, we talked about him. I mean, last week, six for 20, threw for 68 yards, sacked nine freaking times, ran the ball three times for only 12 yards. And Trey Lance, the other rookie, you know, phenom, everyone loved hyping up. Haven't seen enough of them. He's been effective in the red zone when they, you know, design a play or two for him every now and then, but we haven't seen enough for him like we have the others. Just a perfect example, again, of pumping the brakes on all the preseason hype when it comes to rookies. Penny Sewell is the complete opposite. Remember that? Everyone's like, oh, Penny Sewell looks like a bust. He's not playing good. Well, look what he's done when he actually, you know, again, the real games matter and he's starting playing in his natural position. I, I, I'm not trying to blow the quarterback thing out of, out of proportion right now. I think all these guys can still succeed and be good in the NFL, but they're not living up to their hype right now. They're not. We'll see if Justin Fields plays this week. I, I think if I was the Bears, 
Justin Fields gives me my best chance to win if you can design the offense around his ability. I don't know if he's available with his injury, but that would be their best chance if I was the Bears. And I'm sure, especially in Chicago, everyone you know, would love to see him take the field, his first home game in Chicago where he's starting. That'd be cool. But we'll see who they pick at quarterback. Getting to the actual prediction of the game, like I said, I, I, I like Detroit. I just think we've shown more promise and more week-over-week improvements, and we're just stable, and I think a lot of key positions in terms of what we know we have and what we have to work with, I think we're going to win 27-23. to 23. First win of the season, divisional game at Chicago. I think we're going to be pissed after it happened last week. I think, again, the same old Lions team would come into this game and find a way to just look bad from the, from the beginning and, you know, look, get embarrassed in Chicago. I, I don't think we're that same old Lions kind of team under Dan Campbell. I don't. I'm thinking we're to come in here, knock them, you know, right away. I think we're to start off first quarter, trying to find a take take the game to Chicago or show them we're not, we're not going anywhere, and it's going to be a you know not pretty game probably, but I just feel like we're to find a way to sneak out a W here. I don't know. I'm just optimistic. I think the Bears, like I said, are a mess. I think we're hungry. We want to get that win after we got one, you know, taken from us last week. Perfect game to get the first first W for Dan Campbell and his staff. So we'll see. I'm excited for it. But with that, I'll let you guys go. I'm excited again to watch the game this Sunday. Uh, We'll see what our Lions can do. Please, (laughs) no more terrible ref calls. No more 66-yard field goals. Let's just play a game. Let's find a way to get a win. With that, I'll talk to you next week. And let's go Lions.